Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. College football is headed into its final month, basketball has started, football's in full swing, and the World Series is starting this week. BetOnline has you covered with all of the odds, props, promos, and parlays. And if you use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, you can get a 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is October 25th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. Download as many episodes as you can. It's greatly appreciated to help support our dreams and support the people who support our dreams as well. We've got a great show today. We have Bob Nightingale coming on the show later today. You know him, national baseball reporter, newsbreaker, Bob Nightingale. Joined us last week. I was hoping that there would be a Game 6 or a Game 7 to talk about tonight, (laughs) and this uh, conversation would be more prevalent. Now that the Astros and Phillies have both advanced to the World Series in baseball, this conversation is a little bit less relevant than it was at the time of our recording. We had to squeeze a recording in when Bob was traveling between San Diego and Philadelphia last week for the NLCS. So it's kind of relevant. It's kind of not. It's still baseball talk, especially the Astros conversation is something that's going to be fitting as we now know what the World Series is going to be. And the fact that we're basically saying, I mean, we know the Astros are going to beat the Yankees, but it hasn't happened yet. But let's talk about the Astros inevitably beating the Yankees. And now that it's over, that macro level conversation will be point. Bob's going to join us at the end of the show today. We're going to start off by talking about each of the league championship series because I've watched a shit ton of baseball over these past two weeks. And in order to start talking properly about baseball, we need to get in the right mindset by playing our San Diego versus the Holy Dodger Empire Star Wars bit that we made over the summer that ended up being 100% true because the resistance in San Diego took down the Holy Dodger Empire. Episode 4 The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. 
In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. And that's exactly what they did. The Resistance took down the Holy Dodger Empire. I've said this a couple times. If you rooted against San Diego at any point in the playoffs, you were rooting against Luke Skywalker, and you're rooting against the Resistance in Star Wars, nobody should ever be rooting against Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, specifically because Star Wars is a metaphor for the Vietnam War. And that's a fun fact for some of you who may not know, that the Resistance is based on the Communist Vietnam Army, and the Empire is built on the Americans. And Darth Vader is either like Richard Nixon or Lyndon B. Johnson in this analogy. But in our baseball analogy, Darth Vader is Josh Hader, who for some reason joins the, the Force, which I guess technically, spoiler alert, Darth Vader technically does at the end of the movie. I don't think Josh Hader has the same cool story as Anakin Skywalker from the prequels. But anyways, we can dive into that later. We might make another version of that once next year rolls around. If I have good ideas, it's just Juan Soto, Han Solo, Lord Vader, Lord Hater. I mean, it was too perfect to, to make that work out. So basically, baseball is Star Wars. And we're headed to a World Series that includes the Astros and the Phillies, two teams that I don't mention at all in this entire Star Wars bit that we do. And I'm going to talk about today San Diego and the Yankees sides of this conversation. The reason I'm going to do this is because we have the next 10 days to break down Houston and Philadelphia. 
And so call this like a eulogy for the San Diego and New York seasons, perhaps, because this is probably the last time we care about these teams the rest of the way. Today's going to be a specifically San Diego and New York Yankees-centric conversation. And I'm going to start off by talking about San Diego because of how near and dear this entire playoff run has been for myself. I was calculating this the other day that I spent about 60 hours over the past 17 days watching San Diego Padre baseball traveling to Los Angeles for game two against the Dodgers, recording podcasts, just investing so much time and energy and emotions into rooting for San Diego, as I've talked about like four or five times within the last couple weeks, including Wired Up last week, which was one of our more popular episodes because San Diegans heard this and came together and kind of had the same kind of feeling that I had around San Diego and the emotions of the moment. San Diego being my hometown, I born there, grew up there until I was 18, go off to college in Northern California and uh, live in Sacramento now ever since. No real plans to ever go back to San Diego. The thing that connects me to my hometown, and again, I bring up this quote all the time, Ice Cube says, if you don't love the place you come from, you're going to be miserable. And so the connection that I still hold on to is my family, friends from childhood, and shall we say, this baseball team. Those are the things that connect me to the place that I come from. And this baseball team had a run that, if you know anything about the San Diego sports curse, 24 years since they won a home playoff game. That's literally my entire lifetime because I'm, I was born in 2001. That's literally my entire lifetime. The Padres have been bad. I was a socially isolated, crazy sports kid, and now I've had the perspective in life to recognize that sports don't matter that much, and there are so many better things in life. They just I didn't know that those things could be possible as a child because of uh, just some stuff that was going on in my childhood and some traumas and some social isolation and all kinds of naive thinking about how the world works. And all of that stuff has faded as I've gotten older. It doesn't serve me anymore. I'm an older person, a more uh, person with more perspective, shall we say. Uh, someone who enjoys doing this as sports analysis thing and making sports my work. That's ultimately when I say at the beginning, support our dreams Part of the dreams are making sports work, and so that's the connection I've had to San Diego. There's like four podcasts within the last couple weeks. Just look for anything that says San Diego in it if you want to hear me soapbox more about the San Diego Padres. But now that the Padres season is over, I just had this weight kind of lifted off my shoulders, it felt like, because this playoff run has been something to me that is cathartic because it represents something that I really valued as a kid, which was getting to the playoffs for San Diego, having to getting to root for that team and getting to go watch playoff games for that team. I talk very fondly about the 2020 playoff run during the pandemic where Tatis pimps bat flips and Machado hits home runs and they have a six-run comeback in an elimination game with nobody in the stadium against the Cardinals and then they get swept out by the Dodgers. And all of that, plus five years of a rebuild, 
plus 16 years of never making the playoff, plus the Chargers leaving. Again, I'm going on six years as a recovering Charger fan. You too can recover from rooting for sports teams that are not serving you in a way that brings joy. Lions fans, Falcons fans, a whole lot of college football teams like Texas A&M. You too can get out of the sports fandom that does not bring you any joy or bring you any results. Denver Broncos fans, I know it's early in the process. Denver's going to look up and it's going to be 15 years and they're not going to have won a playoff game. You can get out now. Don't succumb to the decade of expectations. And what happened with all of that stuff, whether it's the Chargers leaving and that being one of the more formative moments of what the next five years of my life were going to look like. And I know that sounds kind of stupid, but sports have helped me learn all sorts of lessons outside of sports. Once you remove the blinders and gave myself the perspective of, oh, this football thing doesn't matter as much as I thought it did, where I'm crying when the Chargers leave, even though I'm 16, I think at the time I was 15 years old. I'm crying because the Chargers are leaving and just having no perspective on what actually is important in life. And so going into this playoff run, this was the one team that I still feel an emotional connection to. I don't feel a connection to any football team anymore. Even when Patrick Mahomes, who's my favorite player and the reason that I started doing this analysis thing and getting back into football, Patrick Mahomes, when he loses, I don't feel distraught by it. When Gabe Davis scores that touchdown in the playoffs last year, I'm not like, oh, I'm so distraught by Mahomes. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is an incredible moment. I was a little bit disappointed when the the Bengals made it to the playoffs last year, but that's because I had this expectation that Kansas City would win the Super Bowl after beating Buffalo. It couldn't possibly go from that to losing to a Bengals team that was like the sixth best team in the AFC while Kansas City was the best team in football. It couldn't possibly, they couldn't possibly throw up on themselves like that. So I guess from the expectation standpoint, it was disappointing This Padres season wasn't disappointing for me. And I kind of want to talk about this philosophically before going into Astros and Yankees, which is we uh, let's operate under the assumption that sports fandoms are irrational. It is irrational to root for a team the way that sports fans do. It is innately emotional when we're rooting for sports because The thing I talk about with college football is like people place large amounts of their emotional stability in a college that they didn't even attend. Or people place large amounts of their emotional stability in rooting for a team that sometimes doesn't even come from a city that they play for. Or sometimes it is their hometown and there's that emotional connection. Sports fandom is emotional. Sports fandom is not rational. Because if it were rational, we would look at what numbers suggest and say, well, the Padres had a 54% chance of beating the Phillies, and therefore we should have a a moderate level of expectations. But no, of course, San Diego fans either, most of the ones I knew were either at the farthest end of the spectrum of like, oh my gosh, I want this so, so bad. Or there was me on the other end, which is, I am setting absolutely no expectations for myself. Therefore, I can't be disappointed when they lose. So if we operate under the premise that sports fandom is emotional, sports fandom is irrational, it doesn't make sense why we choose to 
put jerseys of someone else's name on the back of our body when we decide to pay a corporation that sometimes thousands of dollars if not thousands of dollars thousands of dollars worth of our time and sometimes thousands of dollars of our actual money it doesn't make sense why we invest so much in a corporation that traffics in your emotions sports fandom is emotional and sports fandom is irrational if we operate under that premise and i think it doesn't have to be that way it's just sports are incredibly stupid if not for the emotions that we feel around it. If that's the case, and this is irrational, then I've grown to believe that we should, as sports fans, seek to maximize pleasure while minimizing pain with our sports fandom. That's the, that's the idea that I've landed on when it comes to rooting for sports teams and like I said a second ago I don't root for sports teams anymore I don't root for a football team anymore I don't root for a college football team I don't root for a basketball team anymore I I grew up on baby Lakers and I don't have any emotional attachment to the Lakers I haven't for years and years now I think after the Chargers left that was when it became easy to emotionally detach from the Lakers and that was part of me growing up and becoming my own person. I live in Sacramento now. I, I cover the Sacramento Kings at the at a radio station who's partnered with the Kings. And I just, I don't feel the same ride or die with the results. I love the Kings. I think it's going to be amazing when they make the playoffs. And they're going to commit arson if they just win a play-in game in Sacramento. A 16-year playoff drought is something I identify with because of what the Padres meant to me when they went through a 16-year playoff drought until 2020. So I identify that part with Sacramento. I just also don't care about the results of the basketball games. So maybe Sacramento will be the next closest thing, and when they get a chance to make the play, and you'll hear me soapboxing about Sacramento, but I've only been here for a couple years. It's It's just an adopted fandom. And one that I'm not really emotionally investing in. It's a new fandom for me, shall we say. So I don't, I don't root for teams anymore. I don't root for teams and care about results. Except when it comes to San Diego. And the reason that was the case is because it was holding on to a part of myself that felt good. That felt like I went through all this emotional investment in the San Diego Padres as a child. And being way too obsessed with watching that baseball team that never made the playoffs. And, and like we talked about with Ryan Cohen, it was fun. It was incredible to... It, we didn't like miserably sit through all this stuff. It was fun to have Kevin Kuzmanoff. It was fun to have Khalil Green. It was fun to have Alexi Amarista and Kristen Orfia, Will Venable, Jason Marquis. It was fun to have those guys on the team. We enjoyed it. It just was minor league baseball operating within the major league construct. San Diego is a minor league baseball team, or at least it has been a minor league baseball team my entire life. The best players who play in San Diego go to other teams and have the great successes of their career, like Adrian Gonzalez. Just he develops in San Diego, goes somewhere else. Jake Peavy wins a Cy Young in San Diego, goes to the Giants in Boston and wins championships. Like 
a minor league franchise is what the Padres were for my entire childhood. And so when it got to this place where, again, I put in like 60 hours of work, uh, 60 hours of time watching the team, which is, again, I could do so much with 60 hours of time. That's a lot of investment to put in within a two-week span when I go from basically watching zero amount of sports to watching 60 hours of sports within a span of, well, I shouldn't say zero because I guess I was substituting football for baseball. I was substituting college football for baseball. I was substituting basketball for baseball. So I guess if I'm watching 15 to 20 hours of sports during this time period, let's alternate instead of 15 to 20 hours, you're adding 60 hours. So that's an additional works week. That's an additional work week's worth of watching baseball and analyzing baseball that I'm doing within a 17-day stretch from the first playoff game against the Mets until the last game against the Phillies. 40 hours within two weeks is not an insignificant amount of time. Some other amount of time in your life is going to have to be sacrificed in order to invest in that emotional connection. And it's why you've heard me talk so much about the San Diego playoff run over the past couple of weeks. And so once it was over, it was like a relief for myself, not because I get my time back to do other things, but because I didn't feel, you can't feel disappointed when you set the expectations so low. And this brings me back to the original point that I was talking about, which is if we operate under the premise that sports fandom is irrational, then it is of my belief that sports fans should maximize pleasure, minimize pain. How do I do that? Zero expectations. I When Bryce Harper hit that home run in Game 5 for Philadelphia, I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel heartbroken. I didn't feel disappointed. All the things that I used to be and people I know felt the same way. Like, oh, it's another check on the San Diego sports curse. Oh, it's another moment in history that will live in infamy. I guess I just put it to a point where how can I be disappointed when disappointment is based on expectations? And if I set no expectations... There is no way for me to be disappointed. I only get the pleasure of success because I never even conceived of a possibility that San Diego would beat the Dodgers. And I think part of why I felt this relief at the end is like, all of this is too good. This is too much joy. This is too much fulfillment. This is too much love and emotions over the past two weeks because 40 hours of emotions is emotionally taxing when you're spending all this time when when you're someone like me who spends a lot of time in rational thought and rational conversation and then you could put it into emotions the same way that sports helped me feel things as a child and actually be emotional where I didn't have other outlets to be emotional as a child when I'm going back into that space a space where I don't like I don't like the person that I used to be. I don't like the childhood version of myself. I don't like the teenage version of myself. When I have to put myself back in that place and process the emotions of the moment, it's something that's 
a bit taxing and a bit emotionally draining and being in touch with my emotions and being able to talk about it within this context is something that feels a little bit easier for myself and so because of that and because I set the expectations so low I get all the pleasure of did we just beat the 101 111 win Dodgers did 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 we just go to the league championship series for the first time in my lifetime did this minor league franchise since they entered the league in 1969 has the worst combined record of any franchise in baseball san diego worst record of any team since they entered the league in 1969 50 years of being on average worse than every team in baseball did that minor league team just make it to a league championship series Did that minor league team just accomplish the dream that childhood me had, which was just give us a shot against the Dodgers. And technically we got it in 2020. Had the Dodgers not won that championship in 2020 and they still had the 34 year drought of winning a title. Oh, it would have been the most, it would have been everything childhood me thought of as a dream. And I'm a big believer in dreams. The dreams I follow now are just ones that are contingent on myself and not contingent on the success or failure of a baseball team that requires the emotional investment. They're dreams like I dream of making $75,000 a year talking about sports. I dream of being a leader who someone can look to for support and care and love and helps them feel safe and secure in difficult situations. These are dreams that I believe in. And if you support this show, you're help. That's why I say support our dreams. I'm a big believer in dreams, but they're not I dream of beating the Dodgers in the playoffs. That's not something that I do anymore. It was a dream that I cared about as a child when I just didn't have the perspective of things greater than sports and things greater than myself because of trauma and uh, naivete and social isolation and just stuff that in my childhood that doesn't feel great anymore and, and makes me resent and hate the person that I used to be. While also forgiving myself for being like, that's just the circumstances of the situation. It was really unfair, and that's okay. And so I'm watching this baseball team that I care about, and because I set the expectations so low as a fan, it was totally irrational. But again, sports fandom is irrational, and I don't know if I want to or will feel that way again about the Padres because all I wanted to release myself, release myself, from caring so much about this baseball team, releasing myself for again, like I said, the only things that keep me connected to San Diego, I don't plan to live in San Diego again. I don't plan to go back there when I'm older, um, you know, and build a life in that. It's just the place that I come from. It's where I'm from. It's a, it's a part of my life that doesn't serve me anymore. It brings back some, some of that trauma and social isolation and naivete and disgust for the person that I used to be. And because of that, it doesn't serve me anymore. But the connection to family and the connection to that baseball team are the things that still hold an emotional tie for myself and still bring me back. It's a good reason to come back. And I don't think that baseball team is going to last forever because I'm not emotionally investing as much as I did as a child. And so as time goes along, it will be less important in my life as I realize that watching sports and caring this much about sports is not something that I want to do with my free time. I would rather make it my job. And then once I reach the next stage of my life, evaluate whether I want it to continue to be my job. And so I'm really interested in pursuing this 
love this fandom part if i'm going to be a fan if this is the only team along with sacramento if this is the only team that i'm going to invest time and emotional energy into i want it to be something that maximizes pleasure and minimizes pain and i can say coming out of this playoff run that's how i felt about the padres that's how i felt about this incredible 17 day dream of a run which was they played the dodgers with 111 wins the best dodger team of the of the entire 10 year historic dynastic run of the dodgers the best team of all the 10 years they beat them they sent them home on their home field with a five-run, seventh-inning comeback where they had a 3% chance to win the, the game four. I got to go to a game in Los Angeles where Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth hit home runs and a goose landed on the field, and I got to walk down through the concourse of Dodger Stadium as all the people were clearing out after we got a victory. It was just an amazing moment. And it's an emotional investment that I will carry with me for years and years as something that made, I mean, I don't think one singular moment can do this, but it made all of the years worth it because a dream came true. A stupid dream that I had as a kid, which was just give us a chance to beat the Dodgers. Hopefully the Padres win a World Series in my lifetime, but I got 70 years for that one to to come true. And if that one doesn't come true, that's okay. It's out of my control. Winning a championship in San Diego is out of my control. The thing that I felt like was a reasonable dream to set was give us a chance against the Dodgers. If if we can beat the Dodgers, I'm good. Just give us a chance. Just give us a chance. And this connects to the inferiority complexes of San Diego and the fact that Los Angeles and San Diego are always held within the big brother, little brother context. All of that stuff. Hatred for the Dodgers. Vile hatred for the Dodgers that I've seen people exhibit. San Diego fans hate Dodger fans. If you follow Baseball Fight Club on Twitter, you've seen seven videos of Padres and Dodgers fans fighting in the stands over the playoff run. Like, just vile hatred in the context of sports like that rivalry feeling and being little brother like the the Detroit Lions to the Green Bay Packers or like Michigan State to Michigan like just to have that moment was just a dream come true and regardless of losing to the Phillies or Bryce Harper home runs or giving up a four-run lead in Game 4, I don't care about any of that because there, there were no expectations for a league championship series. There were no expectations for even getting to the Dodgers series. You're telling me we're going to beat the Dodgers? And I set the expectations at zero, thinking that it would maximize pleasure and minimize pain. And I think that did actually happen. I don't care at all that the Padres lost. In fact, when Bryce, after Bryce Harper hit the home run, I found myself smiling and like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. This, this dream that I had been carrying with me for years and this connection to my team in San Diego as a child, I could just let it go. And I'm st- sitting here talking into a microphone, kind of like our old therapy bench segments and thinking to myself, I can release that part of myself. I can release that connection 
to the place that I come from. We beat the Dodgers. We'll have that moment for the rest of time. And like I said last week, maybe this will forge a new identity for San Diego. They spend a lot of money now. The Padres spend a lot of money. Manny Machado is going to make the Hall of Fame and probably go in with a Padres hat on his head. Like, maybe this forges a new identity for San Diego, and they make the playoffs four times in five years and become a dynastic type of team that every year becomes the equivalent of the Braves or like the Yankees who we're about to talk about. Maybe they are willing to spend the money to always be a playoff team for the next five years. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it forges a new identity. It's not going to feel the same as this one because what this identity, what this run for San Diego represents is in the short term, five years of rebuilding to get to a place where they could get that matchup with the Dodgers fully healthy, not in the middle of the pandemic year because they got swept out in the DS the first time they played the Dodgers and that Dodgers team went on to win the World Series. They turned around, they added Juan Soto, they added Josh Bell, they added Brandon Drury, they added Josh Hader. They came around and added Blake Snell. They added Mike Clevenger. They added Hugh Darvish. They literally added an entire pitching staff. They traded for Joe Musgrove. They traded for Hugh Darvish. They traded for Blake Snell. They traded for Clevenger. They traded for Sean Manaya. Rebuilt their pitching staff after it got torched by the Dodgers. Traded for Juan Soto. Traded for Josh Bell. Traded for Brandon Drury. And lo and behold, look what happened. They, they beat them. They got, they got one over on Los Angeles with no business competing in that space. It's not going to feel the same going forward for San Diego, at least not for me, because I'm not willing to keep investing. The only reason I was investing emotionally as a fan in this run is because of what it meant to myself as a child in the place that I come from. And it's not going to feel quite the same this point going forward because they delivered two of the greatest moments in the history of my sports life the game two at dodger stadium walking across the concourse after a victory being in the park to watch the goose game and them beating the dodgers and that game four I, it's just you heard me talk about it on wired up a couple weeks ago it's just magical it's it's what a championship feels like because of my personal emotional investment the fact that i set the expectations at zero maximum pleasure just maximum pleasure through and through and that's how if i'm going to be a sports fan that's how i choose to to be a sports fan there's no pain at the end no disappointment just immense gratitude for the incredible moments that this 17-day postseason run has delivered for me. It was 17 days there, but it was five years of building back up in a rebuild. It was 16 years without making the playoffs, and it was an entire lifetime. I was born in 2001, an entire lifetime of waiting and investing and aging and going about our lives in order to be delivered that incredible emotional moment of beating the Dodgers for the first time in this minor league franchise's entire history.
All right. Let's talk about the New York Yankees. Because the New York Yankees season is over after getting swept out of the playoffs by the Houston Astros. It is the first time that the Yankees have been swept out of the playoffs since 2012 when they lost to the eventual American League champion Detroit Tigers, which was the beginning of this run that I am going to encapsulate here talking about the Yankees because it's pretty remarkable how in a sport like baseball where... I say all the time, it's incredibly random postseasons. The postseasons are designed to be random. The postseasons are designed to be chaotic. They are supposed to allow for six different champions in six years, like is the case in in the uh, National League right now, um, where it goes Nationals 2019, Dodgers 2020, Braves 2021, Phillies 2022. And by the way, if you're doing the math at home, it would be five different teams that have played in the league championship series in that time span. Baseball playoffs are random. Baseball playoffs are weird. Baseball playoffs are kind of chaotic. And there have been eight different champions in eight years, despite the fact that the same teams always make the playoffs. I mean, Houston, we're going to talk about them later. They're riding a seven-year division winning streak. The Yankees have made the playoffs six years in a row and they've made it nine times in the last 12 years and the Dodgers have made the playoffs 10 consecutive seasons and nine division titles and the St. Louis Cardinals have made the playoffs seven times in 10 years and the Atlanta Braves have won that division I think four consecutive seasons now So when the same teams keep making the playoffs every year, it's remarkable that they've had eight different champions in eight years. And if Philadelphia wins, it'll be nine champions in nine years. Nine different franchises win a championship. You have the Giants in 2014, Royals 2015, Cubs 2016, 2017 Houston, 2018 Boston, 2019 Washington, 2020 Dodgers, 2021 Braves, and 2022 would be the Phillies under this circumstance. That's nine different teams winning in nine years. And yet, despite how random baseball's playoffs can be and how parity gets legislated because of how thin the margins are in the sport, for my entire memorable baseball lifetime, the New York Yankees have been exactly the same team. It's incredible. The New York Yankees have been exactly the same team. And I don't understand how that's the case. They can change the players all the way around. It's been three generations of baseball now. Three generations where the New York Yankees have been exactly the same team. So for context on the Yankees, we've talked about this before. A 21st century baseball fan, the New York Yankees are... Are You know how in the, the 20th century, the New York Yankees were called the Evil Empire with George Steinbrenner, and uh, they won championships in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, and uh, I think they won like five, uh, six straight championships, five or six straight championships in the 1940s and 50s, and you know, in the 90s, they had the great dynasty that won four titles in five years and made it to two more World Series. They won... The American League, what would that be? One, two, three, four, five, six times in eight years, they won the American League and won four championships 
And then they kind of fell into a lull period a bit where they lost to Boston in 04 with the famous, you know, coming back from down 03 that kind of neutered the Yankees for a couple of years where they're like losing to Cleveland and Detroit and Anaheim and they're just kind of like a good, not great team. And then they signed Mark Teixeira and then they signed CeCe Sabathia and they win the championship in 2009. And since 2009, the New York Yankees have been exactly the same team. In 2011, they won the American League East two years in a row and lost to Detroit both years. Won the American League East, won over 95 games, lost to Detroit 2011 and 2012. Then they missed the playoffs for two seasons. One of those years, they lose a game 163 to Evan Longoria on the last, or I guess it was a game 162. They lose to Evan Longoria on that home run that kind of creeps over the wall in Tampa. Greatest moment in the history of Tampa's franchise. 2014 missed the playoffs. 2015, they make the playoffs, lose the wild card game to Houston, which is the beginning of Houston's dynastic run. Because that 2015 team, I believe, loses for Houston in the... I believe they lose the league championship series to the Royals that year. Don't quote me on that one. I believe the 2015 Houston team... No, the Houston team loses to Kansas City in the next round, but they go to five games. That's what it was. So Houston beats the Yankees in 2015. Then... It's the beginning of what you could call the current iteration of the Yankees, which is when Aaron Judge arrives on the team, Masahiro Tanaka arrives on the team, and in 2017, the Yankees make it to the league championship series and lose to Houston for a second time. So now it's been eight years since the last championship. They've never been terrible. They've been over 500 every single year. The Yankees are the, one of these teams like the Dodgers and like now Houston and, and like it was with Boston in the 2000s. In the 2000s, Boston and New York were the two teams. They were the two teams who had the resources, were investing in analytics, whether it's Brian Cashman, uh, Boston ended up hiring, uh, what's his name, Theo Epstein. That Those two teams were the teams that had the infinite resources because of regional television contracts and the design of the sport. 2000s, that's their their dynasty. Again, the Yankees go to six World Series in eight years, should have gone to seven and nine before the greatest collapse ever against Boston. And from there, they win the championship in 2009 by basically spending money. George Steinbrenner dies, and somehow they've been the same team ever since because I'm going to kind of just rat-a-tat-tat them off real quick because each of them has their own story and each of them has a super unique story. But I start, just know, I start getting big into baseball around 2010. That that Texas Rangers team was someone who I really enjoyed watching as a child because they were the team in the playoffs that I liked. And my brother liked the Angels, so it was natural to, to like the Rangers. And the Rangers were really good. Beginning with 2010, it is lose to Texas, lose to Detroit, lose to Detroit, miss the playoffs for two seasons, but they weren't bad. They just, again, one year lose a game 163 to to Tampa, miss the playoffs, lose the wild card to Houston, miss the playoffs, 
losing the league championship series to Houston with Aaron Judge. Then they win 100 games, lose to Boston. Win 103 games, lose to Houston. Win the equivalent of 90 games in a pandemic-shortened season, lose to Tampa, who their entire payroll was less than what Garrett Cole was making on a single season. Go to a fifth game, and Mike Brasso hits a game-winning homer off of Chapman. After the year before, Jose Altuve hit the walk-off homer, the famous one where he covers his chest because he might have had a buzzer. Jose Altuve ends up having the home run off of Chapman. The next year, Mike Brasso hits the home run off Chapman. And then you go to 2021, wildcard team lose to Boston. And then this year, make it to the League Championship Series, swept out by Houston. That's one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four if you count the game 163 against Tampa. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven seasons in which the Yankees are a really good team, spend a lot of money, and lose in the American League playoffs. We talk about this all the time. Houston came to the American League in 2013 from the National League and stole the Yankees' birthright to success. The team that won six championships in eight years in the 2000s. The best dynasty... I'm sorry, they, they played in six championships in eight years, won four. Guess who stole that title from you? Houston. Houston's been to the League Championship Series six consecutive seasons. This is going to be their fourth World Series in six years and possibly their second title. It's the best run of baseball since the Yankees of the 2000s. In the in-between periods, you have Boston winning a title every four or five years mixed in with a White Sox and a Cardinals and ultimately uh, the Giants win three out of five, but it's a fluky three out of five because they miss the playoffs every other year except the years that they win the championships. The best, most consistent dynasty in baseball since the Yankees is Houston And the worst part for New York is you have to lose every single year to that team. There's no matter what you try, no matter how much you turn over the roster, it's losses to Houston. Derek Jeter lost one year to Houston. Alex Rodriguez lost one year to Houston. 2017, it was Aaron Judge and that core of the team with, uh, I I don't think DJ LeMahieu was there at that point. 2017, they lose... While being a really well-run team, they find Giovanni Urshela's, who gets cut by Cleveland and turns into a star third baseman. Gary Sanchez, developed within the the organization, turns into an all-star catcher during that 2017 season. They find Aaron Hicks and develop him into a star player. They do all the things that great franchises do, which is they have infinite resources to spend on players and are able to find diamonds in the rough like the Dodgers and like Houston, who have been the two best organizations in baseball over the last decade. And yet, the Yankees exist in a tier all to themselves, which is they have the infinite resources. They are able to develop diamond-in-the-rough type of players like Urshela. They are able to find value within the margins, using analytics and developing players at the highest levels of the sport. They have the same resources at their disposal as the Dodgers and the Astros, and yet they exist in a tier below those teams, and they exist below the Boston Red Sox because the Yankees have not beaten the Boston Red Sox in the playoffs since 2003. 
my entire lifetime, Boston has won four championships and beaten the Yankees every time they meet in the playoffs. 2004 was when Boston took over your birthright to championships. And the Yankees have been far more consistent than Boston. Boston's kind of like, we win, and then we tear it down. And then we win, and then we tear it down. And then we win, and then we tear it down type of situation. They, they spend money poorly and... You know, the 2003 or the 2004 team looks different than the 2017, which looks different than 2013, which looks completely different than 2018. Boston is this weird exception that happens to win four championships, while the Yankees are consistently a team that loses to Boston. So, Boston in the 2000s, beginning in 2004, Boston jumped the Yankees. Boston was the evil empire. The Yankees were the team that is the little brother to Boston. And in the 2010s, Houston took that mantle from them. And Houston wasn't even an American League team. Now you're chasing Houston and Boston. And I know Boston isn't great right now. Boston was great in 2014. 2013, sorry, they won the championship in 2013 and then finished dead last the next season. Boston was great in 2013, and Tampa was the team that beat the Yankees before Boston got a chance to beat them. And the Tigers were the team before that. And now it's Houston. Then it's Boston again. Then it's Tampa, but if it hadn't been Tampa, it would have been Houston in the next round because Houston went seven games with Tampa in that league championship series in 2020. Houston was within one game of making five title runs in six years. Think about that for Houston. Houston got the brakes beaten off of them in 2018 by Boston. Other than that, in the last six years, Houston has made four World Series and came within one game of making a fifth, winning the American League five times in six years, potentially. They won it four times in six years, which is a ridiculous accomplishment in and of itself. And even for New York, you're behind Tampa. You're behind Boston. You lose to the team that goes on to win it every year. And that doesn't happen in baseball. Sometimes you just you find it your way into some ridiculous luck and you end up winning. It happened to the Braves last season. It happened to the Nationals in 2019. It happened to Cleveland in 2016 when they were one game away from winning a championship against a Cubs team that was clearly better than them. It almost, I mean, it, it did happen to Cleveland. They came within one game of a championship. Randy Arena had the greatest postseason any of us have ever seen. For Tampa, while making $80,000 a year because of the pandemic-shortened season and salary adjustments, he made, not, he made not even six figures playing for Tampa. Dumb shit happens all the time in baseball, and it doesn't happen to the Yankees because it's the same predictable pattern every single year, and I can't comprehend how that's the case when everything else in baseball doesn't operate this way. How can Houston have such a decided advantage over you every single year? Every year, 2015, 2017, 2019, 2022, and even the years that it's not Houston. 2020, Houston would have beat the Yankees if Tampa hadn't beaten them first. In 2021, it would have been Houston if they don't lose to Boston in the wildcard round. Maybe it would have been Tampa again, but the point still stands. Like, it's Boston twice. It's Tampa. It's Houston four times. It's the Tigers twice. How does that happen? In a sport that's designed to not be that way and during an era where they've had nine champ, potentially if, if Philly wins this year, potentially nine champions in nine years. How, do, how have the Yankees who have made the playoffs 
I mean, if you count the game 163, which is not technically a playoff appearance, but if you count the game 163, we're talking about the equivalent of 10 runs in 12 years. How how has it never broken their way? How is it that in the last game Aaron Judge might ever play in New York? Because Aaron Judge represents the transition from Jeter to what is now the core of the team that they have now, which is Judge, and it was Hicks before, and it was Edwin Encarnacion, and it was having nine all-stars in their batting lineup, then sending those guys out and bringing in Stanton, and then bringing out the starting pitchers and bringing in Garrett Cole and, you know, giving LeMahieu an extension, signing LeMahieu from Colorado and then him turning into one of the best value players in baseball, then giving him an extension and him not being worth it. Like, the transition from Teixeira and Sabathia and Jeter and Rodriguez into Judge, Stanton, Cole... Aaron Hicks, what was Gary Sanchez, and is now they flipped him at the right time for Trevino. Like, we're headed into the third generation now because the 2017 Yankees team, most of those players are gone. Aaron Judge is, by all accounts, likely to be gone. And you're subtracting the core of the second generation that couldn't get over the hump. It was Jeter and Rodriguez and Teixeira and Sabathia that were losing to Detroit in the early 2000, 2011s. And then they had the transition period. They also lost to Evan Longoria. They had the transition period, and then it was Chapman and uh, and Judge and Didi Gregorius and Hicks and then Glaber Torres. And now it's an entire new era of the Yankees that are still at the top and still can't get over that. I don't understand how it's possible in that sport that it could be such sustained success without ever once getting it break their way, getting a break to go their way, not one time getting a break to go their way. Because the closest thing you could point to with that is like the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been the best team in baseball for 10 years, infinite resources, maybe the best front office in baseball, Houston close, you know, Houston and the Dodgers are a tier above themselves. But the Dodgers made the World Series three times and won a championship in 2020. Even if you want to subtract the one year that they won the championship, they made the championship three times. They made the league championship series six in 10 years. And made the and the Yankees made the playoffs every single year too. How is it that the Yankees never once got through? Not even to win the championship, just play for the championship. Beat Houston or Boston. They couldn't one time do it. They they haven't one time been able to do it in my entire baseball mem- my entire baseball watching lifetime. It's one of those things that just absolutely confounds me about the sport. Because I've come to accept, hey, random shit's going to happen. The Dodgers are going to lose to the Braves and they're going to lose to the Padres, and they're going to lose to the Nationals, and they're going to lose random chaotic moments, even though they have the best team in the sport every year, it's going to happen. I can't understand how the Yankees are so predictable in a sport that consistently proves to be unpredictable year after year. It's incredible, and as the years go on, I I struggle to find some sort of explanation for how chaotic 
the sport is and yet how predictable the Yankees have been even as you turn over entire rosters. There's nobody left on the Yankees now that Brett Gardner's retired. There's nobody left on the Yankees that was there in 2013. And there are very few players who were even there in 2017 when they lost that Game 7 in Houston. There's very few players that are there from those teams. And the few players who were there are on their way out the door, whether it be Judge, whether it be Gary Sanchez getting traded last year, whether it be the possibility of Aaron Hicks getting waived, the retirement of Masahiro Tanaka, the retirement of CeCe Sabathia. There's very few players that were even on those teams that are still there, and yet it's the same predictable result, which is the Yankees exist in the same structure and confines as Houston and the Dodgers and Boston. They just can never get over the hump. They just, they, they not one time, not one time have they been able to beat Houston, Boston, Tampa, Detroit. And Detroit's been bad for seven years Detroit's been awful for seven seasons, and you can still point to those Tigers playoff series and be like, Yankees were the best team in the sport and lost to a team that was slightly better. 97-95 wins in 2011-2012. 2013, Boston has an incredible season. We assume the Yankees would have lost had they played Boston. They're not even going to get the chance. They're going to lose game 163 to Tampa. It's two losses to Tampa, two losses to Detroit, two losses to Boston, and four losses to Houston without ever breaking through. And maybe, I think this year's explanation is it took everything they had just to get through Cleveland. And Houston was such a juggernaut team that by the time they got there, there was nothing left in the tank. None of their rotations were lined up. So this year, it was an unfair fight and Houston was going to wipe the floor with them a little bit. And yet, even still... It's one more year added to a pattern of you can each year has a story. Like I said, like I said, I, I kind of brushed past 2018 against Boston. That game three in 2018 had an 18 run output by Boston. They put up 18 in Yankee Stadium on New York. Each of these years has a story. Each of these years has a story. And you can change the players, you can change the general manager and the front office structure of Houston, and they just keep rolling over New York. And there, there's no precedent for this, at least not as far as I can go back and find. There's no precedent for, hey, the team that was close but no cigar, they couldn't quite get over the hump, doing that for 12 consecutive years is something that doesn't exist eventually if you if you stay good enough in baseball long enough eventually you're going to break through this is what i can only classify as an unprecedented situation which is 10 playoff runs in 12 seasons winning 100 games four times or the equivalent of 100 games four times and not one not one world series appearance when 15 different baseball teams, I'm going to say this again, 15 baseball teams have won a league championship since the last time the Yankees went to the championship. 15 different teams. And it's not like they sucked any of these years. None of these seasons, they've been bad. They've made the playoffs 
every year for six straight seasons. So they've made it equivalent, if you count the game 163, 10 times in 12 years. That's 10 playoff caliber teams in 12 years. And even the two years that they missed the playoffs, they were above 500. It's incredible. It's incredible that that's happened because there is no precedent for that level of sustained success without ever breaking through once. Because usually the teams that get close fall off. The Diamondbacks make the playoffs three years in a row and then they trade Goldschmidt and that's it. Colorado makes the the playoffs and then they fall off. Um, Milwaukee comes within one game of making the World Series against the Dodgers. They fall off. Cleveland goes to the World Series, then they're out of the playoffs for two years. And then they takes them a couple years to get it back going. They make the playoffs in the pandemic 2020 year, and then 2022 they have a division title. Like, it takes, it. it's not consistent success never once breaking through. Usually if you get in, eventually the weird luck of baseball will break your way. It's never broken one time for the Yankees. With completely different players, completely different teams, one time in 12 years and 10 playoff runs. Like, again, the Dodgers have made 10 consecutive playoff runs. They made the World Series three times and won it once. The Yankees have made it 10 consecutive times. They've made the World Series zero times, and I can't comprehend how that's possible. And I say this now acknowledging that this might be the end of that run. Or at least the Yankees, as they're currently constructed, this might be the end of what that looks like. This could be the end of Cashman. This could be the end of Aaron Judge. This could be the end of Stanton in New York, depending on how they move about that contract and try and dump him this offseason to create cap flexibility. Like, this could be the end of that run as we know it for the Yankees. And it, it baffles my mind that 10 years, it is... Two losses to Tampa, two losses to Detroit, two, two losses to Boston, and four losses to Houston without ever winning the American League. When, as I said, 15 different teams have won their league championship in this 12-year time span, and six different teams have done it in the American League alone. Because I mentioned those four teams, Detroit, Houston, Boston, Tampa, all of them made the World Series after beating the Yankees at least one time. Kansas City made the World Series a couple years. They just the Yankees never got to play Kansas City in the playoff. Cleveland made the World Series and the Yankees never got a chance to play Cleveland during those years. And then Houston's made the World Series four times in 6 years as the dynastic team that has taken the throne that has kind of been left vacated since those 90s and early 2000s Yankees, a team that for 10 years, or I'm sorry, eight years, went to six World Series and won four. Houston's on that course, and they're already the closest thing to it since. Six years, six league championship series appearances, four World Series appearances, the chance of winning two championships. They're the closest thing that's going to exist to that, and I just I can't believe that it's happened right under the Yankees' watch. It's kind of incredible that that's how that worked out. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes 
astray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York All right, let's welcome back to the show USA Today national baseball columnist Bob Nightingale here on the show. Uh, thank you again for coming on. You've been uh, down here in Southern California for a, a good couple weeks or so, traveling between San Diego and Los Angeles, and now you're on your way to uh, Philadelphia for the weekend trio of games between San Diego and Philadelphia. How are you feeling? Yeah, doing good. I'm away to Philadelphia now, so it should be a uh, should be a fun weekend up in. Uh, it should be a fun weekend up there. It's been. Uh, a- I mean, the playoffs is 2011, so should be a great atmosphere. Yeah. So, what was? I mean, you've been kind of live tweeting through it. What has the atmosphere been like, uh, both in San Diego and uh, those games in Los Angeles? For because for them, this is very similarly their first long playoff run. I know they won a home playoff game for the first time since uh, since before I was born. So it's a uh, it's been quite the experience over the past week or so. Yeah, no, it's been a uh, yeah. The, the series against LA, I mean, it was, <clears throat> the fans, the city were just going absolutely bonkers. So a little different than uh, the Philadelphia games. Uh, yeah, they're obviously very excited for taking game two, but uh, LA was just like you know to a different level. I think just because you know the, the hatred obviously between San Diego and LA uh, with the city, the franchises, and everything else. Game two, yesterday. Well, I guess yesterday when we're recording this, game two between San Diego and Philadelphia. As that's going on, and Nola gave up, I believe, five earned runs when it was all said and done. As that was going on, um, what was kind of your thought? Because Nola and Wheeler, I think in 30 something innings, had only had one inning where they had allowed a run up to that point. And when everything's changing there, what's going on? What are you thinking about with Philadelphia and the rest of that series? When they went up the, uh, you know, went up 0-4, I mean 4-0, I thought, okay, uh, looks like this series could be over in a, in a heartbeat. And then, uh, you know, the two home, the two solo home runs, back-to-back pitches, and the, uh, then you're, you know, by, by Drury and, and Bell, okay, they're back in this. Then you saw the way that fourth inning and the fifth inning unraveled, particularly with uh, Nola getting hit off his brother. I kind of just, you know, that thing turned upside down. Where you know you saw the uh, in the five run inning and the game was over. Do you think there's cause for concern for Philadelphia, knowing that you know they have Suarez and and likely Cindergard being the next two pitchers? They wouldn't rush back Nola or, or Wheeler to try and go on short rest at this point. But it definitely is. I mean, you know, it's a uh, you know advantage Padres because of the uh, of the starting rotation. They get the better starting rotation. They have the better bullpen. So things are set up nicely. Uh, you know, obviously, you know the uh, you want to win two in San Diego and not not split. But I don't think either team's good enough to sweep uh, the other in Philadelphia. So I'd be very very surprised if there's a you know if we're not going back to San Diego for Game Six. But no, I would, I would think Padres are you know back in the driver's seat, having beat one of those two guys. So from the San Diego, or sorry, from the Philadelphia perspective, Bryce Harper's having a 
all-time historic postseason, and it feels like he's somehow doing it quietly, despite the the level of superstardom that Bryce Harper is. Uh, could you kind of like talk about what he's done so far, not just in this series with the the home run, and of course the the double that then led to a run yesterday. Just everything that he's done so far in these three playoff rounds. Yeah, I mean he's a uh, the reason they're paying him three hundred thirty million dollars. He's that type of player, and uh, he's been you know fabulous everything they want. You know, and so has so has Machado for that reason. I mean, say uh, you know the same sort of thing. So I I think it's a deal where you know, the superstars are 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 stepping up. Yeah, and, and San Diego's had this weird level of production from guys lower in the order. That happened again during the five-run inning uh, on Wednesday. It's been a weird kind of blend of that, but also you look up and Machado has uh, over 1,000 OPS in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Machado's been in, in just brilliant defensively, too, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's been quite remarkable there. I do want to ask you a, a couple of questions on the other side with the American League. Uh, Houston's up 1-0. Game two's going on today while uh, we're recording this. So what have you made so far about Houston and you know being the team that last year made it to the World Series? They've been to six straight ALCSs. And uh, I'm not saying that this series is anywhere close to over, but it feels like they've been overwhelming the entire postseason so far. Yeah, I mean, Houston, they, they had the long way up and kind of worried. They've only played, uh, you know, going into the series against the Yankees, only played three times in 13 days. Uh, you worry worried about the layoffs there. But, you know, you saw what they did in game one. The pitching the pitching's all lined up. I mean, right now, it, it's very hard to see them not win the World Series. Uh, they're a you know, heavy, heavy favorite. I think this year, uh, Dusty Baker finally wins that ring. But, uh, you know, they, they should beat. I think they're going to sweep the Yankees, if not maybe five games. And I think, you know, same thing in Philadelphia. I think they'll take care of uh, either Philadelphia or the Padres uh, next round as well. So I think the World Series goes through Houston. I'm I know that the voting's already done at this point. Is Dusty going to get manager of the year considerations this year? No. It'll probably be either uh, Terry Francona, uh, Cleveland, or uh, Scott Service or Seattle, or or, or Baltimore. Uh, I think it's going to come down to either uh, Francona or a uh, or Baltimore as far as uh, who would Brandon Hyde of Baltimore. So my gut guess is maybe Brandon Hyde because they're in the race all year. I would have voted for uh, Francona, but close between those two guys. You mentioned Houston's pitching staff is lined up well, and it's going to be Valdez and uh, either Garcia or Urtikiti, I would guess, in the next start. But how does the Yankees rotation line up at this point? Because they had to go through a, a lot of their arms just to get to this round. And uh you know, Severino's going to pitch game two at this point for them. How How is the rotation looking for them now playing? I guess it's going to be five games in six days, theoretically. Yeah, I mean, it's all set all set up for the uh, for the Astros. I mean, you're going to have um, you know, Lance McCullers in game three. Like you said, you're, or, or Kitty or Garcia. You're probably Garcia game four. And, uh, you know, Yankees will have Garrett Cole back in three. 
Cortez, Nestor Cortez in game uh, in game four, then a big drop off again. So yeah, uh, you know, obviously the Astros are set up bullpen wise and everything else. So if they have a chance, you know, it's going to be Cole winning and, and Cortez winning, and then kind of hold their breath. I mean, they have zero chance to win the series unless Cole wins every start he makes. Yeah, that seems to be kind of the the trend at this point because of, uh, I mean, it feels like every year, but how relative to their competition, the, the Yankees starting rotation feels a little bit thin every year where I've been saying for years, you never know who's going to start a game three for the Yankees. You know who their one and two starters are, but game three is always up in the air. Yeah, I mean, we, even we saw it with the Dodgers. I mean, as great as the Dodgers were in the regular season, um, they almost went to a bullpen game in game three, started Tyler Anderson and pulled them out way too early and then it cost them the game. So, yeah, uh, it, it's funny how some of the, the big boy franchises with the Yankees and, you know, and Dodgers don't have that depth like Houston does and, you know, the Padres do, even Seattle did. What is the, I mean, the Yankees kind of need the starting pitching to pick up, but do you think the Yankees are going to be able to get hits off of Houston's pitching staff, or is it going to be kind of a, a lot of solo homers like we saw in game one? I think solo homers, if they do it, uh, I just think the Astros pitching staff is that good. I can't see them giving a, you know, a bunch of two-run, three-run homers. I, I don't. Uh, they've been dominant all year. There's no reason for them to stop now. Just a, a tremendous, well-balanced team. You know, the back end of the, of the uh, lineup is a little weak. Uh, you know, seven, eight, nine spots. But that being said, they're really set everywhere else. Remember, they've done this. I mean, uh, Altuve going to game two and not got a hit yet, 0 for 19. And they're still, you know, wiping out people. Yeah, it's remarkable because the, something similar happened last year in the playoffs where like Correa and Bregman were hitting, I think, like 120 in the World Series. And obviously they ended up losing to Atlanta. But, you know, if it's not Altuve, it's Jeremy Pena who, you know, slides in and replaces Correa and has been fantastic. Alvarez is having a historic postseason. Uh, it's interesting how they keep finding different people, even as the names that we know don't necessarily put up large numbers in the playoffs year to year yeah you always have some unsung heroes i mean you know go back to you know the buddy bianca buddy bianca on in the 85 world series the brian doyles of the yankees uh, of course the uh famous bucky Dent, you know that sort of thing usually everybody focuses so much on the uh the big stars it's, it's the uh unknown guy who come through yeah, and uh, you know, Chaz McCormick had a homer in game one, and Yuli Gurriel right. has been there for a while. Like that, it's remarkable how Houston's been able to pull that off. And I, I feel a little vindicated hearing you say that Houston is as overwhelming as, as I thought they were because it felt like coming in to the playoffs, Houston was the team that I had the most confidence in. And I wasn't sure if I was doing that because this year's team was so great or just because Houston has been so good for so many years now that I just kind of assume that they'll run through the American league if they have a number one seed. Yeah. I mean, this is six straight, uh, you know, ALCS and this is a juggernaut. Uh, you know, we talked about the Yankees from, uh, you know, the dynasty from, you know, 96 through one, you know, these guys are doing the same thing, especially if they win their world series. Uh, they've been in three world series. This will be the, this will be their fourth one. So this would go down. I know people are going to talk about the you know Gene Scanlon in 2017, 
Let's go down as one of the you know greatest uh, you know teams and uh, of this era uh, doing what they're doing. Uh, it's been yeah. phenomenal the way they run the table. Absolutely, I, I think that the '90s Yankees are the one comp you can point to because uh, of the sustained success that Houston has had and the fact that they've done it with two different cores of the team because before it was Keuchel and. Uh, Springer and Correa and Altuve and uh, now it's Bregman and it's Alvarez and it's Jeremy Pena and it's McCormick and Kyle Tucker and you know Verlander's been there for all six years but other than Verlander and Altuve they've kind of been rotating pieces in and out of this run yeah they really have I mean a lot of new faces when you lose uh, Correa when you lose a a Springer when you lose a Garrett Cole and you're still doing this. You know, they've done a phenomenal job scouting and developing and bringing guys in. It's not like, you know, hey, you know, even Verlander was, uh, you know, a trade. Not like they're spending a bunch of money in the free agent market to bring these guys in. They're, they're homegrown players. Yeah, and, and even their big move uh, from the trade deadline, Trey Mancini, you know, he's not necessarily finding a space in the lineup at this point because of how deep the, the Houston team goes and the, Production, I'm not sure they were anticipating from from Chaz McCormick. No, no, not at all. I mean, I, uh, that center field is kind of in a black hole for them. It's about trying to find a guy. You know, they had Miles Straw there. They really haven't had that guy uh, since Springer. So, uh, who knows? Maybe McCormick will be that guy. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, a good team. And with that pitching set the way it is, I mean, they get a chance to do this for a few more years. What do you make of the Cleveland Guardians going forward at this point? Because they were, you know, obviously a surprise team this year, almost made it to the league championship series within one game. What is that team going to look like going forward? Well, I mean, they should have a nice run in them. I mean, they're, they're the youngest team never make the postseason. Uh, what they had 17 guys make the major league debut. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll be the favorite to win the division again next year. Uh, they're coming. I mean, I, it's been so long since they won a World Series, and uh, you know we may we may see that next few years. You know, it'll be great to see it come with Terry Francona in charge. But uh, I think they'd be knocking on the door for for a World Series here in the next uh, these next you know, two, three, four years. All right, that's Bob Nightingale on his way to Philadelphia for the weekend series in the national league championship series, Bob, as always, I really appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right. Look forward to it. Thank you.